Thanks for listening to the Aspire Church podcast. Visit us at aspirejacks.org to access additional resources or to learn more about the ministries of Aspire Church. Psalms 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid my face, you hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosened my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open with me to Psalm chapter 30, Psalm chapter 30, we are wrapping up today our summer Psalms mixtape as we look at Psalms of joy and uh, on a day like today where there is great sadness in our city for a senseless act of violence, it might seem unusual to talk about joy, but in fact, it is exactly at such times that we need to talk about joy. And we've been talking about joy this entire month, and if you recall back Psalm chapter 4, We said joy begins with the person you see in the mirror, that it begins with a ruthless examination of your own heart to see what condition your own heart is in to know if joy is even possible in a heart that could be divided or a heart that could be uh, filled with bitterness, a heart that does not seek to reflect its maker. And then a couple weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 66 and we said joy doesn't come from changed circumstances, but through a changed perspective that All kinds of circumstances happen in this world and in our lives, and uh, we often have little or no control over them. But if we truly believe that God's kindness will not depart from us, our, our perspective on those circumstances will change. And then last week we looked at Psalm 96, and we said that joy comes when we serve the one we were created to serve. Uh, that all creation sings the glory of God and the only part of creation that seems to fail in its purpose are humans. And so we're reminded that uh, all creation is inviting us to do what we were made to do, which is to serve God. We're going to serve something. Everybody's going to serve something. And joy comes when we serve who, were we, who were we were designed to serve. So today we're going to look at Psalm 30 as we wrap it up. And Psalm 30 is a beautiful expression of worship following a very challenging time in David's life. Uh, Bible students uh, have looked over the years and tried to pick, figure out exactly what circumstance David was in that when he wrote this, and there's a lot of different opinions. I I happen to think this is one of those psalms that he's looking back over lots of circumstances in his life as he reflects over the highs and the lows. And uh, the psalm is kind of divided into three sections. In in verses one through three, you see, as Ron read for it earlier, that David is expressing how God has 
picked him up when he was down, and he kept his enemies from gloating over him, how God healed him, how he brought his soul up from hell, how he restored him. And this turns into an invitation that David extends to everyone in Psalm 30, verse 4, where he says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. And it's a reminder that David is, in, is saying he's inspired to worship and to call other people to worship, not because everything in his life went well, but because when things in his life went poorly, he can look back and see how God was faithful even then, how God delivered him even in the dark times. Our darkest trials make for our best testimonies. Our most difficult circumstances in life make for the greatest opportunity for God to work in and through us to bring about his purpose. That he redeems our pain for his praise if we will allow him to do that. And then in verse six through 10, you really see the flashback. So what led David to, to praise God for bringing him up from the pit of hell? Well, you see in verse six through 10, a little bit of a flashback revealing how David went from the pinnacle of prosperity to the pit of despair. And I want to read it for you again, but I want to read it for you today out of the message because I love Eugene Peterson's take on these verses because it captures it, I think, in modern English in a way that we might otherwise miss. Listen to what it says, Psalm 30, verse 6 through 7. When things were going great, I crowed, I've got it made, I'm God's favorite. He has made me king of the mountain. And of course, if you know the story of David, you know that's exactly what happened. That by God's grace and mercy, he picked David out, the youngest of seven brothers, left out in the field to tend the sheep, and God picked him to be the king of Israel, and he raised him up to be the king of his people. Then, look what he says next in verse 7, then you looked the other way, and I fell to pieces. I called out to you, God, I laid my case before you. Can you sell me for a prophet when I'm dead? Auction me off at a cemetery God, my God, I can't thank you enough. So Psalm 30 is a beautiful description of David's journey from prosperity to the pit and ultimately and finally to praise. And you know what? His journey is not so different from many of ours. Now, I doubt very seriously any of you have ever been raised to the point that you've become the king or queen of your own dominion. But you've had an experience like this. I've had an experience like this, where by God's grace and God's mercy and God's kindness, you find yourself in a situation, in a better situation than maybe you even think you deserve. And then in the midst of that victory or triumph or happiness or joy, you forget how you got there, only to find yourself in a moment of despair. And God's kindness shows up again and again. And again, and no matter how many times I fail, he comes through again and again and again. And no matter how many times the circumstances get dark and depression takes over or anxiety gets the best of me, God's kindness reveals itself again and again and again. And if I am not aware that it is God who has raised me from the pit to the pinnacle, then I will find myself stuck in the pit and never see the pinnacle for what it was meant to be. And let's be honest, sometimes as we're on this journey, this roller coaster that goes from pinnacles to pits and back and forth. Sometimes it takes a downward turn. Sometimes that downward turn is caused by our choices. Sometimes it happens because of other people's choices. And sometimes it happens at random, it seems. And we don't know how we ended up in the pit. And we don't know how to get back to the pinnacle. But Psalm 30 offers us a better option. 
Rather than constantly being conditioned to look at our circumstances because we're on the pinnacle or we're in the pit, it invites us to do something different and that is to praise God no matter where you are. From the pinnacle to the pit and everywhere in between to live your life in a way that constantly acknowledges who God is and what God has done. How do we find joy on this journey? Psalm 30 teaches us that joy is the result of living an exchanged life. Joy is the result of living an exchanged life. What do I mean by an exchanged life? Well, some of you have been in circumstances and you've seen somebody else in what you perceive to be better circumstances and you've thought, I wish I could be in their situation. Uh, I, I don't know, many of you may have uh, lived through times. I, I think there, this every generation has movies and books that come up where there's somebody who switches places with somebody else. They swap lives. You know, a movie, maybe a, a, an angsty teenage daughter is mad at her mother and her, so there's something cosmic happens and they wake up the next day in each other's bodies. You have, I remember movies like this, books, stories like this, or twins who switch places. You know, this exchange life, there's something inside of us that always says, well, I, if I could just have a different life, if I could just have a better life, things would be different. The problem is everywhere you go, there you are, Right? I mean, everywhere you go, there you are. This is why some people, you know, they, they can't figure out why they can't find a boss they like or they can't find a spouse they like, right? Everywhere they go, there they are. But it's true for all of us, isn't it? It's true for you, it's true for me. Everywhere I go, there I am. So, so the question isn't, can I have an exchange life with somebody else? Because the truth is, if, if I were living their life, I would still bring all my problems and sin into that life. I mean, I could mess their circumstances up just as easily as I mess my own circumstances up. So what does it mean to have an exchanged life? Psalm 30 offers us three exchanges that if we will make, it won't just be that we're exchanging our life for somebody else's, but rather we're exchanging our life for the one that God always intended us to have to begin with. And the first one is this, we exchange God's momentary anger for his everlasting favor. God's momentary anger for his everlasting favor. Look at verse 30, uh, Psalm 30, verse 5. For God's anger is but for a moment and his favor for a lifetime. Now, I have to admit, I, I, I really focused almost all of my study on one word in this verse out of this psalm, and that was the word moment. The Hebrew word for moment actually means the blink of an eye. That's the literal translation, the blink of an eye. How many times have you blinked since you've been in here? You just did, right? The minute I said it, you blinked. How long did a blink take? It, it is a fraction of a second. The blink of an eye. God's, David says God's anger was but for a moment, like the blink of an eye, but compared to a lifetime of God's favor. In David's flashback, God made him the king of the mountain and David became proud and what was God's response to David's pride? Look at verse seven. Then you looked the other way. You glanced the other way. You blinked and I fell to pieces. Have you ever known someone who had the power of the look? Right, they don't have to use words. Usually it's a mom or a dad. There's a look, there's a glance, and no words are necessary. When I was growing up, I grew up with a single mom, raised by a single mom, who, who worked so hard to take care of us, 
And um, I was a good kid, not because I wanted to be good or because I thought I should be good. I was a good kid because I really didn't want to be another disappointment to my mother. She had endured so many. And so if my mom, if I did something out of line and my mom just looked at me, I fell to pieces. I, I was so easy to discipline. All it took was a look. This is what David is saying, that God, you looked at me for a moment and it affected me. It, it, it changed me. Have you ever been in a situation, and, and, and I hope you haven't, have you ever been in a situation where in a moment of shame or in a moment of great disappointment, somebody that you love just turned their face away from you for a moment? Can, can, you, can you remember the pain you felt? That's what David is saying. And that is what God is doing in this psalm, that for a moment he turns his face away. Why? Because he doesn't love David? No, because David is not being the person God designed David to be. When my mother would look at me that way, it wasn't out of hatred or anger. It was because I was not being the person she knew I was meant to be. For a moment, God turned his face away. So this got me looking for that phrase, and I found it. In Isaiah 54, Meredith so beautifully sang it for us earlier. But listen to the words of God as God himself describes what that blink of an eye is like for him. He says in Isaiah 54, 7 and 8, for a brief moment, there it is again, for the blink of an eye, I abandoned you. Now he's talking to the nation of Israel as they, per, as they persisted in their sin time and time again God would pour out his mercy on them and time and time again they would reject him and for a blink of an eye I abandoned you he said but with deep compassion I will bring you back in a surge of anger I hid my face from you here it is again for a moment but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. For a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I have drawn you to myself. See, we live in a time where we don't really often talk about God's wrath or God's anger. And maybe that's because people who do what I did talked about it in a way that was fear invoking. And maybe sometimes that fear is good, but I think we fail to talk about God's wrath or anger in comparison with his love for the blink of an eye, but for a lifetime, his love extends to us. And we confuse God's anger with our own. And the scripture says there are four ways, at least four ways, that God's anger is very different than ours. First of all, God's anger is always provoked, meaning that it's never random. God, in fact, the saints in the Bible repeatedly, Old and New Testament, the prophets and the saints in Revelation cry out to God, how long, O oh God, will you let injustice go on before you bring justice, before you set everything right? How long? God's anger is slow, it is provoked, it is measured. And ultimately, and this is where his anger is so different from mine, and my guess is from yours too, God's anger is constructive. God's anger is constructive. 
See, the cross was the place where our anger and rebellion against God collided with God's anger towards our sin. And I just got to ask you, if you think for a moment, if your anger and rebellion towards God is going to collide with God's anger, who's going to win? Who's going to win? And so what happens in that collision is that God himself steps in between our anger and his anger for our wrath, and he extended his arms, and he absorbed in himself all the anger that we could ever hurl on God. And he himself absorbs all the anger that is directed at our sin. God invites us to exchange his momentary anger for a lifetime of his favor. Listen, has your sin caused God to look the other way? Has your sin caused God to turn his face away? And like David, as a result, you are falling to pieces. And my guess is if it has, you don't feel like it's a moment. But I want you to compare this difficult season that you are in right now with all of eternity. It is a blink of an eye. But the question is, how will you respond when God has turned his face away for a moment? Will you respond like David? Will you exchange his momentary anger for a lifetime of his favor? The second exchange is exchanging a night of weeping for a new day of joy. Look at Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may tarry for a night, but joy comes with the morning. Trip cried for a moment, but do you see how quickly he stopped when he saw his mom and daddy? I love the comparison here, that just as night always gives way to dawn, so weeping will come to an end. you know what this tells me? That if you are weeping right now, your weeping is coming to an end. It may not feel like it, but your weeping is coming to an end. But you know what hasn't even started yet, but will inevitably start the joy that will come in the morning. Weeping is but for a night, but joy comes in the morning. This reminds me of what Jesus said in Luke 6, 21. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Why is it necessary to weep in order to laugh? Well, go back to what we just said about exchanging God's momentary anger for a lifetime of his favor. That if I do not come to terms with my own sin, if I don't weep over the condition of my own heart, if I don't weep over the condition of the world, something is wrong with me. Something is wrong. If you don't see the injustice and the consequences of sin in the world, if you don't see the injustice and three innocent people being killed randomly because of the color of their skin, if we don't weep over that, then something is wrong with us. If I don't weep over my own sin, something is wrong with me. And if I can't weep over that, then ultimately I will not be able to laugh and rejoice as God's tender mercies pour out in my condition. David's repentance, a nighttime of his weeping, ultimately led to a new day of joy. 
Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary and transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, understand that your present suffering, understand your present suffering is also just for the night. It's just as we endure the difficulties of this world. It's just as we walk through this valley of the shadow of death. But the sun is rising. In fact, the sun has risen. And the joy will shine on you. And it will bring a change to our circumstances. And ultimately, our mourning and our weeping will turn to joy, which leads to the third exchange. Exchange mourning for dancing. Psalm 30, verse 11. You have turned me from my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Jesus also said in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But you know who never gets comforted? People who don't mourn. Grief is a difficult thing. Grief can stick with you for years and years and years and years. In fact, many people take grief and they stuff it inside and they try to put on this face like everything's okay and the grief just festers and it manifests itself in all kinds of difficult ways. But when you allow yourself to truly mourn, God can bring healing to that. It brings me to mind of one of my favorite New Testament stories from John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. Many of you know that Jesus had three really good friends, uh, two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus got sick, and so they sent a message to Jesus. Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus, hey, uh, Lazarus is sick. Can you come? If you come back and heal him, everything will be okay. No big deal. Just come and do this, Jesus, because they had that kind of faith in him. Something interesting happened in John 11, verse 5 through 6. Listen to Jesus' response to the request. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus loved them, so he stayed longer. Now that doesn't commute, that doesn't compute with me. Why would Jesus stay longer? Because he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Ultimately, you know what happened? Lazarus died. Jesus showed up late, as it's so often in our life seems that God shows up late, doesn't it? Like when we're in our deepest night of mourning, when we are weeping, when we are overwhelmed with this sense that God has turned his face away from us, where is God in that moment? Jesus shows up and Mary goes out to see him in verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You ever felt that way? God, if you had only shown up. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Why? He knew what he was about to do. He knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why did, why did Jesus weep? Because Mary was weeping. Because Martha was weeping. Because God understands when we weep. He understands the pain we feel. And he puts himself into our situation. That's the whole point of Jesus. The incarnation. That God came to be one of us. He understands the pain. 
And so Jesus shows up to the tomb and Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave and told the people to take the grave clothes off of him because their mourning was just about to turn into dancing. Listen, this is the work that God does through Jesus. That God's momentary anger can be turned to a lifetime of favor. That a night of weeping can be turned to a new day of joy. That our mourning can be turned to dancing. But that is only if we will live the exchanged life. Do you need an exchanged life today? Are you living in the tomb? Are you living in the tomb of sin, of depression, of loneliness, of addiction? Do you feel like God is somehow mad at you that he's late, he hasn't shown up, and he's punishing you? Are you weeping? Jesus is grieving with you. The same one offering you an exchanged life. He offers to take your sin, your sorrow, your despair, and trade them for joy and peace and hope and love. Joy comes when we lived an exchange life. Not our life exchanged for somebody else's life. Not our life exchanged for the pinnacle of praise or for the pit of despair, but our life exchanged for the one who gave his life that we might have his life in us. I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and pray as the musicians come up. We're gonna sing one final song and if today you are here and you have never exchanged your life for Christ's life, I would just encourage you today to exchange God's momentary anger for a lifetime of his favor. To exchange your evening of weeping and to know that there is a dawn coming that is filled with joy and hope. To allow him to take your mourning and turn it into dancing. God, we thank you today that your love for us is greater than our sin, that your kindness is greater than our pain. And Lord, that's not to deny that the difficult things we go through in this life are real, but God, it is to say that you are greater, you are more, your plan is better. Help us to believe that when we're in the pit of despair. Help us Help us, God, not just to long to change the pit for the pinnacle, but Lord, help us to exchange both for the, the praise of the one who gave his life that we might have life in him. Father, that you would set things right in me and us, that you would set things right in this world. God, thank you for your love and your everlasting kindness. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who has not received that kindness, God, I pray that today would be the day they would accept the exchange life that you offer in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Aspire Church podcast. If what you've heard has been helpful, please subscribe and rate our podcast and share it with a friend. If you'd like to support the ministry of Aspire Church or want someone to contact you personally, please visit our website at aspirejacks.org.